Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. And man, I'm telling you, we are dialed in this week. This is the first of two parts. The next two shows with baseball's all-time hits leader, Peter Edward Rose. Of course, on the ineligible list to be in the Hall of Fame, despite the fact that he holds 17 major league records. Uh, He holds seven more National League records. Uh, Played in more winning games than any player in the history of sports. More hits, more bats. You name it, he's the guy. But he's not in the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about Pete Rose in this first episode. Growing up in Cincinnati. Getting to the major leagues. Sparky Anderson being his manager. And his fight with Bud Harrelson at second base in the 1973 playoffs. You're listening to Dialed In. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist. Call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Peter Edward Rose was born on April the 14th, 1941 in Cincinnati, Ohio. He just turned 80 years young. He was one of four children born to Harry Francis Pete Rose and Laverne Rose. He played baseball and football at Western Hills High School in Cincinnati and was signed by his hometown Reds to play professionally starting in 1960. Less than two and a half years later, he became the Reds' regular second baseman and was named the National League's Rookie of the Year. Two years later, Rose, switching from the infield to the outfield, led the National League in hits and at-bats, finished sixth in the MVP voting. He would go to his first of what would be 17 All-Star games. In 73, Rose was named the National League's most valuable player, collecting 230 hits and a 338 batting average. In 75 and 76, Rose led the Big Red Machine to back-to-back World Series titles, winning most valuable player of the 75 Classic over Boston. That same year was named Sports Illustrated's Sportsman of the Year. In May of 78, Rose picked up hit number 3,000. And from June through August that summer, would flirt with Joe DiMaggio's major league record 56-game hitting streak. Rose hit in a National League record 44 in a row. In 79, off to Philadelphia, 
where he led the Phillies to three playoff appearances and their first World Series title in 1980. In 84, his lone year in Montreal, he joined Ty Cobb as the only players in baseball history to collect 4,000 career hits. At the end of that season, he returned to his hometown in Cincinnati as player-manager for the Reds. He would play through 1986 and in 1985 would become baseball's all-time hits king. In August of 89, after a months-long investigation, Pete Rose voluntarily uh, was put on permanent place of baseball's ineligible list for gambling on baseball. Despite holding 19 major league records and seven more national league records, Rose, 30-plus years later, is still ineligible for baseball's Hall of Fame. And it is a pleasure to be joined by a man I've known for a long, long time, and he's no different back in 1974 than he is today in terms of the way he treats people, and I mean anybody, and that's Peter Edward Rose. Hey, what was it like growing up in the Rose household when you were when you were born and growing up on the west side of Cincinnati? Everything, everything was about sports, Tommy, and I'll tell you why. Because I was so fortunate to have a father who worked for Fifth Third Union Trust Company. Actually, he worked there for 37 years. Uh, he was an athlete, and I was the ball boy on the on the uh, uh, basketball team, the bat boy on the baseball team, and the water boy on the football team. So he he was always going to sporting events, and I was in the front seat going to sporting events with him. So I grew up in sports, and my dad was real fundamentally sound as a player in all sports. And I think that's one thing, one edge I had when I played Major League Baseball was I was fundamentally sound, and your dad would verify that. I just didn't, I didn't make mental mistakes. Sure, I made errors. Everybody makes errors, but uh, there's a proper way to play the game, and and there's a not so proper way to play the game. And I played the game uh, the right way, and it gave my chance, my team a better chance to win. You had an uncle, correct me if I'm wrong here, Pete, who actually worked as sort of a bird dog scout for the Reds that actually helped you land that first professional contract. Is that right? Well, he's the only reason I got a contract. He he worked for a gentleman named Buzz Boyle, who was the big scout around Cincinnati. And my, my uncle Buddy, who lived in Dayton, Ohio, uh, he, he convinced the Reds that I would grow. Because it wasn't that I didn't have the ability to sign the contract in 1960, Tom. It's just that I... When I graduated from high school, I weighed 154 pounds. And they weren't knocking the door down to sign guys that weighed 154 pounds that played second base and were switch batters. Now, and, what? Uh, he, he, he got me an opportunity because it, the uh, general manager at that time was a guy named Phil Sagi, mm-hmm. uh, who was real good friends with my uncle Buddy. And uh, I, they wanted me to wait till the next year to go out. But I went out the day after I graduated from Western Hills High School and reported uh, to Geneva, New York. And lo and behold, when I got to Geneva, I was never on a vacation in my life, Tommy. Now, all of a sudden, I'm on an airplane, and I'm looking out, and I'm saying, how in the hell is this airplane <laughs> up in the air? Okay, then I, then I fly to Rochester, and I take a Greyhound, first time on a Greyhound, to Geneva. And I get to the ballpark the next day, and the second baseman, now, don't forget, I'm two days out of high school. The second baseman on that team was Antanasio Perez. And they moved him to third and put wow. him to second. Right. So me and Tony Perez have been friends since uh, June of 1960. In 1963, you're in the big league camp. 
And and allegedly, and you tell me if this is right or wrong. I mean, I read a story about it. I don't know if it's true. Of where you got your nickname, Charlie Hustle, from Yankees Hall of Fame pitcher Whitey Ford. They were playing. Uh, the Reds were against the Yankees in a hall of uh, in a spring training game. Is that true? Here's what happened. I, I went to spring training in '63, Tommy, as a non-roster player, and the reason I got to go is because uh, I just come off of two MVPs and I hit 330 uh, in Tampa with 30 triples, and I hit 330 in Macon with 17 triples, and we won championships in both places. And in those days, you like to go to spring training with the big club strictly because you got big league meal money for an extra two and a half, three weeks. And we got a game over in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm on the I'm on the traveling squad, and I'm, my day's done. I'm ready, ready to go take a shower and wait for the bus. And we had a coach named Mike Reba, and he said, "Where are you going, kid?" I, I said, "I'm going to go do my run." He said, "You got to wait for the bus to go back to Tampa. It's a four-hour drive. Wait around, you might get in the game." And all of a sudden, Hutch used me to pinch run. A guy hit a, a base hit about ten feet to the left of the. The left fielder, I went in the third head first. The next guy popped up to Tony Kubek, who was playing shortstop. Wow. He's backpedaling, and no one's going to throw me out backpedaling the shortstop. And I went in the home head first, and we won the game 2-1. to one. And after the game, Whitey and Mickey were talking, and I don't know which one said it, but one of them said, did you see that Charlie Hustle beat us today? Next day in the New York paper, it said, Charlie Hustle beat Yanks. No kidding. Why? Well, that is a great story. You know, after that 63 season, um, I never knew this about you, and I, I've been around you a lot of times. Uh, you entered the United States Army Reserves. You're assigned to yeah. Fort Knox. You, you go six yeah. months active duty, and, and you go to right. basic training. Uh, right. You help train the next platoon. Pete, right. did you learn anything in those six months being in the military that you think made an impression upon you uh, even to this day now and through your well, professional career? I think I didn't need it that time, Tommy, but you certainly get it when you go to the military is discipline. And, uh, you know, I was actually scrubbing the mess hall floor. Now, imagine this. I'm on the floor scrubbing the hall, the, the mess hall floor, and they say you got a phone call. And it was uh, the gentleman, is it Tom Lang from New York? Yeah. Yeah, he called to tell me I was rookie of the year. Or Jack Lang, Jack Lang, forgive Jack me. Lang. You're right, yeah. Jack Lang. He called to tell me that I was rookie of the year in the National League. <laughs> then when I when I did my basic, uh, we went to Fort Thomas. We were in the reserves. And Alex Johnson and Johnny Bench were in the same, same reserves. And that means you had to spend two weeks out of every year. And when we went to the free service, believe it or not, we become cooks. Why do we become cooks? Because when you had the weekend meetings, you could go at 5 o'clock and you were done at 12 o'clock so we could still make the day games if they were on the schedule. And me and Johnny and Alex were in the same unit over in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. We uh, couldn't cook anything, Tommy. We <laughs> couldn't cook pancakes. <laughs> It didn't matter. You made it to the ballpark <laughs> by the day game. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, by 65, Pete. In those days, in those days, most of the Saturday games were all day games. And the Sunday games were all day games. By 1965, you have mm-hmm. become now one of the top hitters in all of baseball. You finished six in the league and the most valuable player uh, balloting. The first of ten. I mean, it's unbelievable. Major league record. First of 10 seasons of 200 or more hits. Mm-hmm. 
did did that season sort of catapult you or did you already have that mindset that you thought you were you were one of the best but did that sort of verify that that yeah I, i'm here's there what, now here's what happened okay 63 i won rookie year 64 i hit 269 or something and i had a, I, I had i had to improve as a hitter so what did i do i went to venezuela mm-hmm. to play in the venezuelan uh, winter league okay and the reason i went to caracas is because the manager there was Reggie Ortero, who was our third base coach. And as you know or may not know, you don't want to go to the you don't want to go down and play one of them countries if you don't know who's the manager because they'll wear your ass out. If you're a pitcher, they'll ruin your arm. If you're a hitter, they'll just wear you out. And when I went to Venezuela, that's where I really learned how to hit. Tommy, I hit 340 in that league, and I led the league in runs scored, which is important. Because in Venezuela, when you play winter ball, actually back in the 60s when I played winter ball, at the ballpark, all the people in the stands, they always bet on who's going to score the first run. And I led all for the Caracas, okay, and I led the league of run scored. So they loved me in Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I hit 340. Then I came back and, and, and hit 312 or something and, and 65, and I end up hitting – 300 or more in the next 10 or 12 years. Right, right. So I owe it to Venezuela because that's where I really become confident as a hitter because Venezuela was a good league. They had some really good pitchers. And I went down there and worked hard. Uh, We had weeks when we played two games, some weeks three games, one week we played four games, and every other day we weren't playing, Reggie hit us out there working and practicing. And uh, I had Cesar Tovar on my team. I had Vic, uh, Victor Davalio on my team. My first baseman was Ken Harrelson. You know him from oh, the White Sox. Of course, Sox. of course. My shortstop was Chico Carascal. We had a really good ball club, and we won the championship. And uh, that's, you know, I won a championship in Macon. I won a championship in Tampa. Tommy, we won a championship in the Florida State League in 1961, and our manager was Johnny Vandermeer. And you know what the owner of the team gave us for winning the Florida State League Championship? What? <laughs> he gave us he gave us all his Zippo lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and not one of us not one of us spoke, but he gave us all his Zippo lighter. <laughs> and of course we won in sixty two at Macon. And that team had six or seven guys on that team that made the Reds. Mel Queen, Shamsky. Teddy Davison, Tommy Helms, Gus Gill made Cleveland, okay, uh, Hunt, the pitcher, me, uh, seven of and the manager of that team was Dave Bristol. Yes, sir. He made the big leagues. Yep. And yep. we won the, the, Florida, the uh, uh, Sally League that year. We beat Knoxville. And uh, that's interesting because I'm going to Knoxville Saturday for a banquet. So uh, that that'd be some reminiscent, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, you mentioned Dave Bristol. He's your manager now um, years later in the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in 1970, the Reds make a change and they hire yeah. this, you know, little known manager. Uh, he had managed in the Reds minor league system. He was a third base coach only one year with a San Diego Padres named Sparky Anderson. He's not even 37 years old yet. What do you recall about the first time you met him? Well, first of all, let me explain something about Dave Bristol, okay? Dave Bristol put the Big Red Machine together. Sure. Sparky developed it. 
That's the way I like to say because I came up in 63. Okay, Helms come up in 66. Bench came up in 68. Uh, Concepcion come up in 69. Perez come up in 65. So all the pieces were in play, okay? And Sparky really developed it. And I'll never forget uh, me, me and Johnny for some, and Tony, for some unknown reason, liked Sparky. We really liked Sparky because he was a fair guy. And I think once your star players like Sparky, the rest of the team's going to follow suit. And Sparky, uh, let me tell you, Tommy, you know Sparky. Sparky was the most street smart guy I've ever been. Yep, around. no doubt. Not book smart. Not book smart. Okay? And Sparky, Sparky used to tell me, and this is a secret to coaching or managing whatever sport you may be in. There's three ways you can treat a person. Think about it. You can pat him on the butt, kick him in the butt, or leave him alone. That's the only three ways you can treat a person. And Sparky knew who to kick, who to pat, who to leave, who to leave alone. And you know, Johnny had a patting. Davey had a patting. Me, doggy, leave us alone. Some guys you had to tell them tell him how good they were. Davey had to tell him how good he was. And 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 that's why Sparky was so successful. You know, he was he was one set of rules. You know, uh, I remember we used to go to spring training. And, you know, me and Johnny and, and, and Doggy were stars, and he knew I liked to watch NCAA basketball. Uh, he knew Johnny liked to play golf. He knew Doggy liked to go fishing. He used to tell, you come in and get your work, and I'll give you Saturday off where you can go fishing, Doggy, or you can go watch the basketball game speed. And he said, you other guys, if you get to their status, I'll do the same for you. Mm-hmm. So he was fair that way, and, and he was consi- consistent that way. That's why everybody likes Sparky, because Sparky, uh, he didn't pull no punches. You know, he, he was a little guy, but he was a fiery guy. Yep. But he was a very, very book smart, uh, or, you know, street smart guy. That, that, that's, where, that's where he stood out among all the other guys. And I played, hell, I played for 12 managers. And, and I can tell you the best manager I ever played for was me when I was player manager. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, how you rate managers. Okay, I rate managers this way, wins and losses. And based on that, Sparky was the best manager I ever played for. Hey, I owe my whole career to Fred Hutchison. He went out on a limb and gave me a job. Sure. You know, I went to Philadelphia for five years, Tommy, and I played for four managers in five years. How odd is that? Yeah, yeah. I played for Ozark. I played for Downs Green. I played for Pat Corrales. And I and I and I played for Paul Owens, four managers in five years. Very unusual for a big league program. Well, especially a big league program that was winning some games. And and we'll get back to that in a second. I, I, in 1970, everybody knows about the All Star Game, the collision at home plate with Ray Fossey. Um, you know, as you've gone through your life, Pete, and you've been asked about that play five million times. Yeah. Do you look back on that play any differently now than you did then or a year after it happened or five years after not, it happened? Not at all, Tommy. Tommy, I was within the rules. If we were playing today, Fossey was blocking the plate and you're not allowed to do that. And be, be honest with you, I went over him and tagged the plate with my right hand. Okay? I got criticized for that. Reality, I missed the next three games. He didn't miss any. And he went on to play nine more years. Plus, plus, Sam McDowell, who was a friend of mine, was on Cleveland. 
and he made the all-star team that year. And he called me about a week and a half, two weeks before the game, because I already had dinner arrangements with Sam. And he said, they just, they just uh, announced that Ray Fossey is going to be on the team. Can he go out to eat with us? I took him down to Sailor Park on a boat called Sycamore Shores that Pete Hahn owned. And I took them both out to dinner, and we stayed out till like twelve thirty, one o'clock. And all all Ray Fossey did is ask me every question in the world about Johnny Bench, okay? Because he was the next Johnny Bench. Sure. And and I'm trying to win the game, Tommy. Uh, the advantage I had is Ray had not had the ball in his glove yet. It was like two feet from him. He's reaching for it because if he'd have caught the ball, he'd have planted me into next week. You know, I remember the next year on opening week of the season, we're playing the Dodgers and Duke Sims is catching. And I'm going on contact the third, and he's got the ball waiting for me. He buried me. I was dizzy for the next three innings on the same kind of situation. However, that situation, he had the ball. Ray did not have the ball. In 1972, Joe Morgan comes to the Reds in a huge trade from Houston. I mean, big-name yeah. guys are in this deal. Lee May and Tommy Helms and Jack Billingham, and, and here comes Joe. Geronimo. Geronimo. What did you think of Joe Morgan as a player? I don't know if you knew him at all as a guy. You guys yeah. became lifelong friends, yeah. but when he first came to the Reds, you thought what? Well, Joe, Joe was stuck down there with two stars. Joe Morgan and Cesar Cedeno, and they weren't going anywhere. And uh, uh, I, I had no idea the impact Joe would make. I, I remember when Joe came to the team, I looked at him, and I was kidding him. And I said, Joe, let me ask you a question. I said, do you like to hit when the pitcher's in the stretch? He said, hell yeah, everybody does. I said, well, you see that office door over there with Sparky's office? He said, yeah. I said, you go in there and you tell Sparky you want to hit after me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Tommy, the next, the next day he was hitting second. <laughs> did he actually go say it to him? Yeah. He, he did. Went, oh, I want to hit after Pete. <laughs> Hell, I got on base 4,900 times. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Turned out pretty and, good and for Joe. Here, here, here's about Joe, and I love Joe Morgan. I love Tony Perez, okay? I love Johnny Bench. Those, those guys are, are great players and, and great individuals. And God bless Joe. We all showed a month, mm-hmm. month and a half ago. But, but Joe Morgan was, without a doubt, uh, the most intelligent player I've ever played with. You know, he was like me. He, he, had, he had some, uh, some situations where he was sh- short in. You know, I mean, there's guys who could run faster than him. There's guys who could hit the ball further than him. There's guys who could feel as good as him. But he had the edge. He, I, I used to watch Joe Morgan for all the years I played with him, Tommy. You can ask your dad this, okay? Joe Morgan will be on first base, and everybody at the ballpark, everybody in both dugouts, all the umpires, the pitcher, the catcher, everybody knew he was going to steal the yep. base, and he still stole it. And, and he, he wasn't the type of guy just to steal bases, to steal bases. He stole bases when it meant something as far as the outcome of the game. You understand what I'm saying? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he, he would steal second when everybody knew he was going to steal. I don't know how the hell he did it. But he, he, was, he was a great base stealer without the statistics. I mean, you know, Ricky Henderson's got 1,200 stolen bases, but I guarantee all 1,200 didn't mean something as far as the game's concerned. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Joe's stolen bases helped us win the game, and that's the way he played the game. That was a good thing about Joe Morgan as far as I was concerned with the trade. Uh, he didn't have success of winning in Houston, but when he came here and, you you know, you take the field with, with Perez and you take the field with Concepcion and Griffey and Bench, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of we're kind of used to the winning because we went to the World Series in 70. We went to the playoffs in 73, went to the World Series in 72. So we we knew a little bit about winning. Walk me through in that 1973 series. You, you, you're you're the National League most valuable player that year. Uh, and in Game Three, Reds against the Mets, fifth inning, you go in hard like you have your whole career into second base with Buddy Harrelson. Uh, next thing you know, you guys are tangled up and, and there's a fight. What happened? Well, very unusual, Tommy. It probably was my fault because I never did pop up slides. You know what a pop up slide is, of right? Of course, yeah. When you slide and you're up, ready to go to the next base. And when I came up, my elbow, in those days, we used to wear the sunglasses underneath the bill of the hat. And you flip them down. You just hit the, the bill and they would go down. And Buddy had those on. And when I came up, my elbow hit his sunglasses and drove him into above his nose. And he wiped his, his, his nose and he saw blood. And he called me a name that I can't repeat. And all I did is grab him. I growled. He's a little guy. Okay, he's a little guy. I grabbed him, and all of a sudden, Wayne Garrett comes storming in from third base. That's who started the whole fight. Not me, not Bud, but Wayne Garrett. And and it was funny to watch Buzz Capra and uh, Pedro Bourbon go at it. It got to the the point where uh, Bourbon ended up with, with Buzz Capra's hat, Okay, and he starts chewing on it and ripping it up, and Buzz is following him around, picking up the pieces of the hat. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's the only hat he got or not. But Buzz is here's a piece, here's a piece, here's a piece, and Bourbon was going to beat the hell out of Buzz Cap. <laughs> and we end up losing. Uh, I, I believe we'd have won that uh, playoff if we'd have had Game Five at home. You got to remember, Tommy, back in those days. Uh, the playoffs were five games. Yep. And if you lose the first game, you're in trouble, okay? And we took that to five games, and they had good pitchers. They had Seaver, Metlock, and Kuzman. They had some good pitchers. And uh, if we'd have had that game five in Cincinnati, I think we'd have won that series. And uh, they went on to the World Series, and I think they got beat by Oakland. Yeah. All right, that's where we're going to end the first segment. We told you at the very beginning that uh, this is going to be a two-parter with Pete Rose. Uh, In the next episode, and and look, uh, you know, many of you, uh, like me, uh, learned a lot about Pete Rose, the young Pete Rose, uh, and making his way to the big leagues and growing up in Cincinnati and all those kinds of things in in, in this episode. But in the next episode, look, I I know what you want to talk about, because I do too. We want to talk about the big red machine. We want to talk about becoming Major League Baseball's all-time hits leader. And, of course, we have to talk about Pete Rose gambling on baseball and where he is banned from the game. And still, 30-plus years later, he is still waiting for a chance to be where he belongs. And that's as a Major League Baseball player in the Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll catch you next week on Dial In.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.